as the Lord has taken me to various countries around the world. I've had ministry in the Philippines. I go to China. I am uh, leaving in uh, another two months for Peru again, uh, and then to China again, and then on to uh, Ethiopia in November. And uh, so what I'm going to share with you this morning really comes deeply from within my own heart, but it's, it's not just for old pastors. It's for all of us. And I'm hoping that what we share this morning might uh, catch a flame in you and in our church. And it has to do with the globalization of God's glory. The globalization of God's glory. I couldn't think of a nicer uh, introduction this morning than to hear uh, Oscar come and talk with us about the movie and the purpose of that as evangelism at first and foremost in that in that movie. And uh, I would like to talk about that this morning from the scriptures, perhaps in a different light than what you have maybe have heard before. If you have your Bible, and I encourage you to take it out, and let's look at Psalm 96. Psalm 96. If you are a note taker, I would encourage you to use the worship folder. They have a place for you to take notes. And in the notes that uh, you can take, there are some I think some thoughts that I've worked on for quite a while that you may want to capture some of those because they deal with the heart of evangelism or the heart of the believer. And uh, I would commend those to you if you would uh, uh, want to remember those by taking notes this morning. Now let's uh, read Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly do be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. And then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Father, as we look at your word this morning, teach us things about your glory. Help us to catch a glimpse of how magnificent and great you are, that our hearts may overflow 
with gratitude and joy and praise that eventually leads to our willingness to share what we believe to be true about you. Bless our time together. Encourage us. Comfort us. Give us hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is something that I have been working on for quite a while in my mind, how to put together as clearly as possible the challenge before me as a pastor over the years. And it is simply this. No generation can afford to have an inadequate or inappropriate view of God. Especially if we are to live as God desires. Especially if we are to go through difficulties, as we all do. And especially if we are to be his witnesses in this world. Either we will be consumed with great thoughts about God, or we'll be consumed about ourselves. And sadly, the church today is attempting to do its work with an impoverished view of God. As we perceive the growing gap between the world's population and the spread of the gospel, how do we explain? How do we explain that over half of the earth's inhabitants have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ? How do we reconcile that? Is it the church the problem? Is the church inhibiting God's plan for world evangelism? Or is God unable to accomplish his plans because he's wrested the salvation of the souls of humanity into the hands of irresponsible people? Is the church inhibiting God's plan for world evangelism? Or is God sovereign? If God is sovereign, therefore he does what pleases him. He's pleased to spread the gospel at his own rate, in his own way, for his own reason. And our answer to those questions will be determined by our view of God what you believe to be true about him. And perhaps the church's shrunken view of God today explains, from my perspective, some of the cheesy appeals of programs that the church has created over the years. A.W. Tozer, who you may have read a few of his books, sometimes referred to as the 20th century uh, prophet, made this observation about the church's misrepresentation of God when trying to stir the church to action. Listen to him. He does sound like a prophet. We commonly represent God as a busy eager, somewhat frustrated father, hurrying about seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. Too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. 
An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers. Not only for the heathen, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from an embarrassing situation his love has gotten him into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. Add to this a certain degree of commendable idealism and a fair amount of compassion for the underprivileged and you have the true drive behind much Christian activity today. Does any of that sound familiar? Well, I'd like to offer an alternate opinion about the motivation for evangelism. God is glorious. Therefore, we should be motivated to glorify him by making God admirers of all people. The overwhelming biblical admonition for evangelism is to make the knowledge of God's glory known everywhere. And the church today must recover a deeper appreciation of God's glory before it can comprehend the purpose and to realize the power that is ours when we are in the midst of sharing our faith with with others. But let me say this. You can be assured of this this morning. That the great commission that Christ gave us will be consummated just as God planned and just as he promised. It will be accomplished. And that is one of the joys I have to be able to go to other parts of the world today and just see the incredible thing God's doing. It's happening in small villages. It's happening amongst the poor. Lives are being transformed in universities. Business place. I've been privileged to go to China. Now I think about eight times. And I've been able to teach them about the greatness of God. How to study the Bible. Portraits of Christ and the uh, uh, Old Testament. How to prepare to preach. I just learned this incredible thing. Because uh, sometimes we don't know much about people in other parts of the world. We know most about ourselves. But I was told that today in China there are over a hundred million believers. And let me tell you this, that it is against the law to publicly evangelize. So how in the world is it happening? They are expecting in the next five years, by 2020, that the number of Christians in China will double to 200 million and there is no public presentation of the gospel. Who's doing that work? God's doing his work. He's doing it through his word. He's doing it through the church, through Christians. They are caught up with the glory of God. Not programs. 
It is changing their life and their culture. So if the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then evangelism is the overflow of our joy in glorifying him now. And that is why Psalm 96 was selected for us by David as a song or psalm of praise. It was written by King David on the occasion of the celebration of the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem for the first time. And Israel was admonished in this psalm to acknowledge the presence of God, to acknowledge and to honor his glory, as well as to announce the glory of God to all nations. In our psalm, especially in the first two verses, David exhorts Israel three times to sing to the Lord. God's glory is to be sung by his people. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. What a wonderful beginning to a great song. We are to sing to the Lord, he says, a new song. A new song is to glorify God for his mercies that are fresh, that are new every day. An appropriate understanding of God's glory pushes aside the common. And it realizes the uncommonness of God's grace and his glory and his goodness to us. Songs of worship should focus on God, what Christ has done, and not on ourselves or even our worship experience. A new song. A new song may actually be an old hymn, an old song made fresh by the awareness of God's presence, of his glory and his goodness. Let all the earth, he says, sing to the Lord. You see, God created all things to what? To glorify him. And the call for creation to sing admits to the ultimate purpose of all things, which are to glorify him. If we don't, creation is. He's always at work in the world to glorify himself and to work for his good pleasure and for our good as well. To sing of God's power over all things is to glorify God as supreme, sovereign over all things. We are to bless the name of the Lord, the holy name of the Lord. Now God has manifested himself in many ways, but the revelation of his name is intended to give us a greater understanding and appreciation of who he is and what he is like. 
to bless his name is to glorify him, to ascribe to him honor and glory and worship and prayer and even in evangelism. Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4 It's like he sang a song to God. Let me just give it to you quickly and I won't sing it. He says, ascribe greatness unto our God. He's the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Moses had seen the glory of God. And he was transformed. You see, God was his rock. God's work was perfect. His judgments were righteous. His words were true. And his ways were perfect. That's what you believe when you have had an encounter with Christ. When you have beheld the glory of God by looking to the face of Christ as you read the scriptures and you are in prayer with him, that's what you believe. It remains to be seen if our generation will ever come to a greater knowledge of the infinite greatness of our God. If not, we will continue to make Herculean efforts to get the troops out, to evangelize, before they have increased their appreciation for God's glory. Now you know where I'm heading. To send people out into evangelism without having a compelling vision, a compelling understanding of the glory of God. I suggest to you that their ministry will not last long and will probably be ineffective. Evangelism should be our delight. It's not our dread. We've got to get over that. As if we have to push spaghetti uphill. As if we have to try to motivate people to do something they don't want to do. Evangelism is another way of glorifying God. Now there have been moments in my life probably yours as well, where you've uh, experienced overwhelming exuberance and joy. I've had a number of those. Uh, I have had three daughters, and every time they were born, it was like I was the first dad to ever have, you know, a beautiful girl. And every time I would see people after they were born... I had in my pocket a, a little, well, a picture photo album. That's the old, old school. You may not even know what that is, but it's actual pictures on paper, you know, that kind of thing. And so when somebody would say, uh, how's it going? I would go, oh, hey, glad you asked, because I would like to show you this picture of my daughter. Isn't she cute? Oh, let me show you. Here is me changing your diapers. Uh, and let me show you this. Here she's just starting to walk. Oh, I didn't talk about my second daughter. Here she is. Look at her. Got golden blonde hair. She is a great little girl. And then there's my oldest daughter. I am so proud of her. Look at her. And people, when they see you, they begin to go, good to see you, Pastor. They're afraid to ask, how's it going? Or do you, you know, what's going on with your family? 
And it doesn't get better when you get old. Because now I have 13 reasons to share my joy with others. I have 13 grandkids. I, I go to other countries, they'll say, do you have family? And I go, do I have family? <laughs> See, i part of the new tech age. <laughs> do I have family? <laughs> Let me start with my youngest, Caden. <laughs> oh, and you know, I have a, a 21-year-old grandson. Yeah, look at him. Here he is here, you know. People start to go, oh, yeah, well, we're glad that uh, you have your family, Pastor. I have so much going on. I'm so proud of them. But explain that to me. Why do I do that? Are any of you guilty of that? Come on, Facebook people. You have to be the first people to, to raise your hand. You are guilty. I'm guilty. Why do we do that? It's because we find our joy... In showing and telling other people about the ones that we love most. I'm never ashamed to share a picture of my wife or of my kids or grandkids. It just, and if you turn, if you just say, well, thanks for sharing, you walk off, I go, eh, they're the loser. Put it back in. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if any of you have ever had anybody say, do you have family? And you say, well, kind of ashamed to tell you I, I didn't go to school to learn how to tell you about uh, my family I may not get it right come on if we are in love with Christ if you believe that God is glorious what's holding us back think about it for a minute You see, evangelism should be the overflow of our joy in the one that we love. We've seen and beheld his glory. We want other people to share in the thing that brings us most joy. God's glory is to be proclaimed among all the peoples. All the nations. That's a driving motivation in my life today. I was a pastor for 40 years locally. And I was so grateful for those years. And then the Lord added to me more of an international flavor. And I got to tell you, I see things today that I never saw before. I am more aware of the sovereignty of God. I am seeing him do such great things around the world that I wish when I come back from those, I could tell you the amazing people I've met who've come to Christ. People who are sitting in my class who are wearing a communist uh, army outfit. Um, People who've come from the, the jungle. Never gone to school, really. I go to Haiti from people claiming out of some of the most, uh, um, how would I say, poverty-stricken areas I've ever seen. And God's doing his work. (laughs) And I just get to see it. And I don't have much opportunity to tell other people about what I see. But I can tell you just in a snapshot here, God's doing something so amazing that I wish you could see it. If you could see what God's doing around the world today, 
you would not be bummed out on the news today. You would see it. You would feel it. You would care. But you'd say, God's at work. He's doing a great thing. God's glory is to be proclaimed among the... Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord, he made the heavens. He's our creator. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. God's glory is to be proclaimed. And here is an essential principle of evangelism. Let me suggest it to you. Those who best realize the magnitude of God's glory, you could add grace and goodness, the magnitude of God's glory, are the most motivated to proclaim his gospel in the world. We need to catch a glimpse of the greatness and the infinite glory of our God. He's not a tin God. He's not a God made of stone or wood. He's the living God, our creator, who sent his son to die on the cross for us. Would that not should that not motivate us? See, the scriptures, I think, would say, yeah. What more does God need to say? What more does God need to do? Our mission is to proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of thinking. Evangelism is not just for the professionals, the pastors, the evangelists and the missionaries. It is to be the daily practice of all God's people to proclaim the greatness of their God. And for this purpose, we were delivered from the realm of darkness, says Paul, into God's marvelous light for a purpose. And he said so that we could show forth his glory to the nations. Jesus commanded Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Christ's exhortation then is glorify the Father in word and in deed. If our witness is going to be effective, we must see as well the need for prayer. Paul asked the church in Thessalonica, pray for us. Pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, and why? And be glorified, just as it is with you. So what is Paul praying for the gospels to do? Is to glorify God. Let the word go forth and glorify him. That's what we pray. God is glorified when his word is proclaimed. Preaching the word of God and sharing it wherever you may be. With a fervent heart in the power of the Holy Spirit are the means of the effective work of evangelism. And our message is to declare his glory 
and his wonder. God's glory never shone so brightly than when God's son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's the glory of our God. This is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God when you consider the cross. That's why we have one right here, center in the church. It may come as a surprise. It's very humbling to know that God doesn't need anything from us. Even our worship, he doesn't need us. He is infinitely self-satisfied, self-glorified. So then why does he ask us to glorify him? Why does he ask us to, uh, to share the gospel with people? Those who worship man-made gods are robbing the true God of his glory. Idolatry, no matter what form it comes in, is taking God's glory and misdirecting it. We were created to glorify our creator and nothing else. And our ministry of glorification is to be proclaimed amongst all peoples. All peoples. Rich, poor. Whatever their sin. We have a God who could save us from the deepest the most perverse, depraved sins. God promised Abraham that from his seed, one would bless all the peoples of the world, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The Apostle Paul, for example, saw his part in biblical history as having received sovereign grace so that he might make known the name of Jesus among all the nations. And he included all of God's elect, the church, us, to be called for the same purpose. In Romans 1, 5 and 6, he says this, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We see this purpose perfectly accomplished in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 7. Someday in heaven, if you look at that chapter, you will see that there is a great multitude from the earth that no man can count. And there will be people from every nation, tribe, color, language, standing before the throne of the Lamb. And here's what they're saying. Here's what they're singing. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That comes from hearts that are overflowing with gratitude. Join me. And I don't want to hear a weak response. As if you're standing before the throne. Let's say this to the Lord. This is dress rehearsal, by the way. We're getting ready for the big event. So let's read together 
Romans 7, 10 and 12. Salvation belongs to our, our God who sits on the throne. Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. You're really good at the amens, and I'm glad to hear that. Our motivation for claiming God's glory is that the Lord is great, and he's greatly to be praised. Do you believe that's true? Let me illustrate, if I can, from an example of a man that I read about sometime before. I think this is what David had in mind when he talks about our motivation. He says, David says that we are to praise him and to bless his name to all the peoples. In 1806, a young 25-year-old British man by the name of Henry Martin, really one of the great founders of world missions, arrived in Calcutta, India alone. This Cambridge graduate left behind worldly success and prosperity. He even left behind the love of his life. Why? To be a Bible translator. When he walked through the the streets of Calcutta, he began to cry. And a few of his friends who were there inquired if he was homesick or not feeling well. And here's his reply. No, I weep because I see people robbing God of glory through their idolatry. That's where motivation takes us. It was his desire to transform glory robbers into glory givers. It prompted him to translate the New Testament into Hindunese. But he paid a price. He died at a very young age after suffering untold adversity. The only adequate motivation for evangelism is glorifying God and making God admirers of all people. Our desire should be to have all people everywhere give God the glory. Give to the Lord all families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Who should give glory to the Lord? He said all the families. But notice he's says and implies the Gentiles. This is an Old Testament guy. What is he thinking about us? You see, even from the earliest of scriptures, even the book of Genesis, there was the great anticipation that one will come forth from the seed of the blessed seed of the woman who will bless all the nations of the world. All the families of the Gentiles. That's why our view should not be just here. It should be concerned and praying about people everywhere. 
And what should be given the Lord? Well, praise for his glory and his strength. The glory that is due his name. And where should his praise begin? In our hearts. Right here when we come to worship in his courts. And how should we give glory to the Lord? Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness and tremble before him all the earth. Truly our God is great and he is good. And now the psalmist concludes his psalm with this ultimate motivation, if you would, for evangelism. The final reason for glorifying God before all nations is found in verses 10 through 13. And here it is. The God will be glorified when he comes in glory. There is a day in which the God of glory will be coming. And what are we to say to them? What are we to say to the world today? When the news looks bad, when it looks like uh, there are forces that are uh, killing uh, Christians and, uh, and families and people with atrocities, what are we to say? What do we say to our own country? When all these things are happening, David says, what are we to say? The Lord reigns. God is sovereign. If you don't believe God is sovereign, how in the world do we ever find peace in the midst of all the chaos that there is in the world today? We must be convinced that God is in control. It may not look like it, but somehow he's working all these things together for his good, for purposes we may not even see or understand. That's how great and how glorious it is. he is. Certainly, he is glorious. And what will be the effect of his coming and judgment upon the earth? Well, you know that there will be judgment. When Christ returns, even the curse of creation will be removed. There will be rejoicing in the heavens, on the earth, in the sea. It says even the trees will rejoice. I think that's almost what Jesus said. When he came into Jerusalem, he said, if you, the kids, were not praising my coming this morning, even the rocks would rejoice. Because, see, all creation is made for the purpose of glorifying God. And when he comes, the curse will be removed. And what should be the expectation of the peoples? Jesus put it this way, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto resurrection of damnation. Our gospel must remind our fellow man. That because he is special in creation. Made in the likeness of God and image bearer. He's accountable before a sovereign God. And there are people who say well I can't talk like that. To the lost. The church says I can't talk about sin. If I talk about sin. People won't want to come. I'm telling you. How do we understand the glory of Christ. On the cross. If you don't understand the need for the cross. We must know that we've been rescued. From eternal judgment and condemnation. 
That's why we are joyful. That's why we are grateful. That's why we will risk it all. That's why we will share with other people what we believe to be true because we know that it is the truth. And the truth is God saved us from ourselves. He saved us from sin. He saved us from death. And he's given us new life. No generation can afford to have an inadequate or inappropriate view of God. When was the last time you read the scriptures or studied them to learn about the glory of God, the greatness of God? God is glorious, therefore we should be motivated to glorify him by making God admirers of all people. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then evangelism should be the overflow of our joy in glorifying him. God is great and he's glorious. And the promotion of God's glory to all peoples is the proper motivation for evangelism. When we are overwhelmed with the truth of Christ's glory revealed on the cross, it will become our delight. Didn't say it'd be easy, but it'd be our delight to share Christ everywhere. There is a direct relationship or correlation between our knowledge of God's glory and our zeal to proclaim his gospel. Greater awareness of his glory results in greater desire to declare his greatness. I think David has said it very clearly. I'm really praying that we as a people will recapture the glory of God. Don't shrink him down. Don't shrink him down to fit the expectations of the culture around us. Keep him big. Keep him bigger than anything they could imagine. Don't try to shape and form our God into something that's acceptable to our culture. Let Christ conform culture to him, not him to the culture. So, will you repeat with me these words? We had a good try at it. Let's try it again. With this, I'll close. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. 